Welcome to the Face Yoga Expert podcast, coming up. The way that we absorb nutrients from food is it gets digested by these enzymes and then crosses through the membranes and then gets across those little gut cells into the blood. And swelling and inflammation and redness and pain and anything in the gut is going to stop those little cells from being able to absorb all those nutrients. And so with celiac, as I say, even tiny little exposures to gluten is going to cause that inflammation and then interfere with your body's ability to absorb all nutrients. So it's not even just the iron, it's it's actually all nutrients. I'm your host, Danielle Collins, and I'm the world-leading face yoga expert, best-selling author of the book, Danielle Collins Face Yoga, and creator of the international teacher training program, the Danielle Collins Face Yoga Method. 17 years ago, I healed myself from chronic illness, and I've spent the last 15 years teaching, sharing, and serving millions of people in person, on TV, and online to help them look and feel the best version of themselves. This podcast is about giving you simple, effective, natural tips and advice and sharing knowledge and insight from industry experts. If you have a friend who you think would enjoy this podcast, please share it on social media as it means so much if you took a moment to rate and review this podcast as it allows more people to feel healthier and happier naturally. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This is the Face Yoga Expert Podcast. Hello and a warm welcome back to this week's episode. So this week is a little bit of a personal story, but I've got the help of my lovely doctor, Dr. Caitlin Scott. So many of you may remember that I did a podcast about a year ago with my friend Sally Jack. So we talked a lot about iron deficiency in my experience personally of that and her experience professionally with that. And some of you may know I had to get another iron infusion recently and I've recently got diabetes diagnosed with celiac disease, which means I'm intolerant to gluten. Now, I wanted to share this with you. The main reason I wanted to share it, because I know that there are so many women out there who are suffering from iron deficiency, from vitamin D deficiency, from magnesium deficiency, B12, folate, and also perhaps have got undiagnosed celiac disease. And I wanted to share a little bit about my story. Firstly, just to encourage everyone to go and get all of these things checked, particularly if you are a woman in that sort of middle age, age range, or if you are suffering from symptoms, which you actually maybe have got used to, but somewhere inside you, you know that perhaps you haven't got the health and energy that you'd really love to have. But I wanted to do this with the help of a medical professional. So I asked my doctor, Dr. Caitlin Scott, who I first met when she worked at the Iron Clinic in London. And now she has moved to an amazing practice. It's a private doctor's practice called the Muse Practice. And I recently went and visited her there for my second infusion. And this is where she did my celiac diagnosis and also told me that I am lower in magnesium and vitamin D than I should be too. So I hope you find this story really interesting. And I know that you will find what Dr. Caitlin says just so eye opening. And even if as you listen to it, it doesn't necessarily resonate with you, I'm pretty sure that there'll be at least someone in your life, another female that you may know, 
who is going through these symptoms because I was just amazed to hear that actually one in three women are iron deficient and the symptoms that this can cause. So it's a hugely informative episode. And before we get into this week's episode with a lovely Dr. Caitlin Scott, I wanted to just remind you about our face yoga teacher training program. So this is a full certification which enables you to teach face yoga to groups and individuals in person or online. It's a full international qualification. So you can study from anywhere in the world and then you can teach from anywhere in the world. And the wonderful thing about it is you can set up a business working from home, teaching face yoga via Zoom or Skype, or you can work in person. You can teach in anywhere around the world, spas, gyms, sports centers, beauty therapists, wherever suits you. And you can really integrate face yoga into your day-to-day life and make it your business, make it your career. Or perhaps if you're already into the yoga, beauty or holistic therapy world, and there's a part of you that's thinking, actually, it'd be great to have that certification in face yoga and just add it to my current skill set, just to give my clients and customers something a little bit different and to help them really work with their own faces. Then you can head to faceyogaexpert.com slash teacher training for all the information on that and our facial gua sha certification. And if you're thinking, look, I want to learn a bit about face yoga, but actually I don't want a certification, then a great option for for you is our 10-day course. So this is a 10-day course and for 10 minutes per day, you are led through fire video, a full face yoga routine. And it's a different routine every day for the 10 days. And you also get a full digital copy of my book, Danielle Collins Face Yoga, which is packed full of face yoga techniques, skincare advice, yoga tips, beauty tips, There's loads of affirmations in there, feel good, wellness hacks. So you get all of that as part of the package and you have access to all of your 10 days of videos and your book for life. So once you've got it, you can do it as many times as you like. So that's a great option. If you really want a bit of motivation when it comes to face yoga, really want to kickstart your results, really want to start getting some good results within 10 days, but you don't necessarily want to get your certification. So you've got two options there. So let's get into this week's episode with Dr. Caitlin. Dr. Caitlin Scott, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. How are you today? Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm really well, thanks. Well, thank you so much for being here. I know you are super busy as a doctor and as a mum. So <laughs> taking this time today to just share a little bit of your knowledge and to help others really means a lot. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's really nice to be on here. And thanks for for inviting me to share all of that. Well, we've sort of known each other, well, a good couple of years now, going right back to my first iron infusion. And I know some people listening will know about that story and other people won't, but um, a mutual friend of ours, Sally, actually rang me when she found out a lot about iron deficiency and she started to get to know you. And she thought that it'd be super interesting for me to know a little bit about it, really from a professional point of view and just to sort of spread the word a little bit on iron deficiency. And what was so interesting going back to the two and a half years ago is that I thought, oh my goodness, maybe I should go and get my ferritin levels checked <laughs> because she was listing off all of these things. Yeah. You know, and obviously going through, you know, I've gone through two pregnancies, two miscarriages yeah. and everything yeah. she was talking about. 
and I got mine checked, you know, and rang Sally afterwards and I was like, um, Sally, <laughs> no, my ferritin's uh, whatever it was, 33. And she was like, right, you need to get in contact with Dr. Kayla right away. And that's when I, of course, had my first iron infusion, which yeah. I thought, of course, would last me for life. But I came back to see you last month for another one, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit as we go through and why yeah. that can can sometimes happen. But what yeah. I really want to sort of start off talking about is what exactly iron deficiency is and who it affects and why it affects certain people. So maybe you could start off just guiding us through that. Sure. I think I think what you've described is so common to so many of us as women. Um, I think in some ways society is quite hard on women and expects us to just kind of get on with things. And when we're feeling a bit tired or we're feeling a bit unwell, you know, just put that aside and get on and see to your children's needs and, you know, your work and whatever other demands you might have. And what a lot of women don't realize, like you've described, is that some of those symptoms are not normal and they are actually your body's way of trying to get your attention to the fact that you don't have enough iron. So most commonly what people find is they get the the more known fatigue and exhaustion where they just feel a little bit out of energy uh, to be able to do things. But some of the other symptoms are things like brain fog. You know, that feeling where you kind of walk into a room to go and fetch something and then you stand there and you can't remember what what you were going to look for. Other things like heart palpitations or shortness of breath when you're doing a normal amount of exercise that wouldn't have made you short of breath in the past. Pins and needles in your hands, your feet or terrible cold intolerance. So where you just can't warm your hands or your feet up no matter what you try. You can get restless legs where when you're trying to sleep at night, your legs are kind of jittering about and you can't really stop them from doing that. And things like hair loss or hair thinning or a decrease in the quality of your nails or your skin going really dry. There, there are so many symptoms, it's, it's difficult to kind of list them all. And the reason why it applies to women particularly is because we bleed. So we, le- we lose blood every month. And even if you have one day that is a little bit heavier than the rest of the days, that's one day where you are losing more blood containing more iron that you are able to absorb through your diet. Um, and that multiplied by 12 months a year for 10, 15, 20 years um, is, is a lot of iron. And it's a lot of iron lost fairly slowly over time. And so those symptoms slowly kind of creep in. And as you mentioned, other causes are things like pregnancy-related blood loss. So even just having two pregnancies that are quite close in in the number of years apart. So two pregnancies within about three years, three pregnancies within about five years. And those pregnancies do actually include miscarriages or terminations because you're still losing, you're still growing that baby for a short time and then losing the blood that comes with it when you when you miscarry or deliver the baby. And the final kind of 
group of causes are things related to not being able to absorb iron very well. In all honesty, our body is not particularly good at absorbing iron and it's it regulates how much iron can be absorbed over about 48 hours. And it's not able to to absorb enough to replace the losses from things like periods. But some people also have conditions that will affect their ability to absorb iron. So things like celiac disease, as well as any kind of ulcerating condition or anything that that affects the lining of the gut that is responsible for absorbing that iron. And some people lose iron through other ways. So it's normal to lose a bit of iron through your sweat. It's normal to lose iron through muscle use. So if you are sort of an athlete who does quite a lot of exercise sweats, maybe more than average, and who often has achy muscles after working out, the chances are you are you are losing a bit more iron through those processes as well. Wow, that's so interesting. You explain it so, so clearly. <laughs> and I know as I was listening to you, you know, of course I was nodding along because yes. so much of that, I mean, bar the athlete part of it, because obviously I'm not an athlete. But <laughs> apart from that, you know, you describe my experiences yeah. so clearly, but also I know so many people listening will be nodding along as well, going, oh my goodness, yes, yeah. that is me. Yeah. And how many women would you predict are actually experiencing iron deficiency yes. and, and perhaps it's gone undiagnosed? Yeah. So they say as many as one out of three Wow. women will have symptoms of iron deficiency in her lifetime. Um, mm. And that can be at any point in time. I've got young girls who just have really terribly heavy periods and have already developed an iron deficiency in their teens. And I've got older women who are postmenopausal. They're not even bleeding anymore, but they generated that deficit over the years that they did and they are then postmenopausally sitting with the consequences and the symptoms of the deficiency. So it's it's really high. One out of three women wow. uh, will have those symptoms. That is so high, isn't it? Mm. And particularly here in the UK, I know it, it really varies from country to country around the world. Yeah. But I know here in the UK, often when your iron is checked, you know, maybe you go to the GP, you have a full set of bloods done. Yeah. Often their limits are very different from now what doctors and experts like yourself are saying is acceptable for women. Because my iron, you know, has always been around, my ferritin has always, which is which are iron stores, isn't it? Has always mm. been around that sort of like early 30s mark, which from a doctor's point of view, because it wasn't under the 30, yeah. um, was sort of said, okay, that's fine. And I think actually, you know, remembering back over the years, even going back to sort of age 21 when I had quite severe ME for 18 months, I yeah. do remember at that time them saying, Oh, well, your iron levels are on the low side. Yeah. But actually, wouldn't it have been interesting? back then if I'd known what I know now and how that may have affected that chronic fatigue I had so severely Um, but I mean hindsight's a wonderful thing (laughs) um, you know isn't that interesting about where the levels are and what we're taught is acceptable probably isn't acceptable no so the the problem is that we have these normal reference ranges and those ranges were actually set up 
based on a cross-section of people. So they took, you know, say a million people and they checked their bloods and they took the average for each of the different blood values and said, okay, in women, because the average ferritin, um, which I'll explain in a second, was such and such, this is now the normal range for, for iron. And they didn't they didn't take into account if those women were symptomatic. So if one out of three of those women was in fact iron deficient at the time of that test, then the range that they've set up doesn't allow for symptoms of iron deficiency. It just allows for the sort of population average. And so what we end up with today is we've got this normal reference range, which is incredibly wide. So the normal range for ferritin, which is a measure of your iron stores, is about 15 to 250, depending on which county you're in and which lab um, your blood's been done at. And as long as you fall within that normal reference range, most doctors will say to you, ah, there's nothing wrong. You know, your iron is fine. You're in the normal range. Whereas what we know and what I've found, particularly with regards to my patients, is for a woman to have no symptoms of iron deficiency at all, she needs to be at a level of about 100, which is essentially the middle of that reference range. So for you to not have the restless legs, to not have the hair loss, to not have the poor quality nails, to not have fatigue and even some of the psychological symptoms, so low moods and anxiety and difficulty sleeping, you need to have a ferritin of 100 because at that point, I can comfortably say it's not iron deficiency that's causing those symptoms. We need to look for something else. And so having a ferritin at the 30 mark is just it's so close to being out of range and many women have symptoms at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the point that I was in two years ago, despite mm. eating what I thought was enough iron. Yeah. Uh, I was obviously, and we now know for two reasons. One, I, I have a, a one heavy day of my period, but yeah. for me, you know, you've recently diagnosed me as celiac, which yeah. makes complete sense because of course, two years ago, I had my iron infusion. I started off at, I think, 33 and my ferritin had my infusion, as you know, felt horrendous for a week after yes. I got pretty bad <laughs> post-infusion flu first time around. But then after that, I probably had around nine months of feeling better than I'd ever felt in my yeah. life. So I had my um, ferritin checked again three months after my infusion. And I think it was up at sort of 250. Yeah. And then I think six months after, again, it was up high at 250. And then I didn't get it checked for a while. But yeah. interestingly, then about nine months after the infusion, gradually the symptoms were coming back. So the tiredness yeah. was coming back, the restless legs, the pins yeah. and needles, the hair loss, feeling cold all the time, all of those little things. And you just sort of get through it and you put it down to stress and a global pandemic yeah. and yeah. everything <laughs> else. But then, you know, I got really dizzy. This is probably going back two or three months ago now. I got really dizzy and actually yeah. it's almost sort of blacked out. And I yeah. And that happened. I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, I just had this light bulb moment. I was like, oh, my ferritin's got really low again. Yes. I just knew it. And I went to my doctor, my local doctor here and had my levels checked and they'd gone back down to 33 again, which is of yeah. course when I 
contacted you and said, look, this is what's happened. And of course you said, you know, come in to the clinic you gave me a half infusion and a slightly different one this time which was great yes. because my my post infusion flu wasn't wasn't anywhere wasn't near as bad, bad. <laughs> which is great but it was interesting to to speak to you within those well within that year really not even two years within that year how it had dropped so significantly and that's when you then gave me the diagnosis of celiac which is yeah. something intuitively I've pretty much known for a while I avoid I've always avoided maybe 90% of gluten because when I eat it I get joint swelling in my fingers and I get bloating but I wasn't 100% gluten-free which maybe you can explain what happens you know if you are celiac and maybe undiagnosed why then you're not absorbing the iron from your food the way that you should so essentially with celiac disease you you lack an enzyme that's able to digest gluten And so when you eat anything that has gluten in it, it tends to cause horrible inflammation and swelling and pain and discomfort in your gut. And anything that does that is going to interfere with the body's ability to absorb because the way that we absorb nutrients from food is it gets digested by these enzymes and then crosses through the membranes and then gets across those little gut cells into the blood. And swelling and inflammation and redness and pain and anything in the gut is going to stop those little cells from being able to absorb all those nutrients. And so with celiac, as I say, even tiny little exposures to gluten is going to cause that inflammation and then interfere with your body's ability to absorb all nutrients. So it's not even just the iron, it's it's actually all nutrients. And We do try and test for celiac disease. There is a test that we can do, but it's not a very good quality test. It relies quite heavily on you eating levels of gluten enough to cause the inflammation for the test to come back as positive. Essentially, it looks for something called anti-TTG antibodies. A lot of people's tests come back negative, but like yourself, they have such a strong sort of history and evidence that they flare up in response to gluten that we can clinically diagnose you with that celiac disease, even though the test may come back negative. And the treatment is fairly simple in that, as you have done, you just then avoid gluten. And if you can control any swelling, if you can stop any of that swelling and redness from coming into the gut, you will then be able to absorb normally because your gut stays healthy and functional. Great. Yeah. And that's absolutely what I'm hoping going forward now that my iron will stay up high because of course I've, I've had this infusion, but now not having the gluten and interesting as well, because I have that one heavy day of bleeding, you also recommended that I use something called, um, and correct me if I'm saying this wrong, <laughs> transexamic acid. Is that so, correct? Very close. <laughs> transexamic acid. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. So again, you know, that's often used if women do have um, either excessive bleeding throughout their period. But for me, you know, it's that that one heavy day. So yeah. what we're hoping is now through that clinical celiac diagnosis and 
having that reduction in in blood loss throughout each yeah. period that actually my iron level should stay yeah. fairly high but also getting that monitored regularly as well yes. you know because you know every I think you said every three months or every six months you know getting yeah. my ferritin levels checked yeah. um which is interesting and the other interesting thing which which maybe you could explain whether this is related at all to, mm. to iron deficiency or to celiac or whether it's a separate thing is also you well you notice two things didn't you that my vitamin d levels are much much lower than they should be but yeah. also my magnesium was slightly lower than it should be and do you yeah. find that that's often linked to iron deficiency or celiac or just quite common in women that live in the uk where we get <laughs> barely any sun <laughs> anyway so what we know about the magnesium is that that is most likely linked to the celiac disease. Mm. So because we can see that you're not really absorbing the iron as well as you should, you aren't really absorbing the magnesium as well as you should either. So hopefully with the change in diet, the magnesium levels will also be maintained once you've managed to top them up. With vitamin D, vitamin D is actually fascinating in itself. In some people have commented that they think that it's been in fact misclassified as a vitamin and that it behaves more like a hormone. And what we know about hormones and what we've seen happen with regards to vitamin D is that it tends to get very easily used up especially when we are quite stressed. So if we have a lot on our plate that we're having to juggle, our body has to kind of adapt and modify and take into account the amount of cortisol that we have to produce. And cortisol forms part of the same sort of tree or pattern of production as our general hormones. And therefore, vitamin D probably links into that same pattern. Vitamin D in itself is a fat-soluble vitamin, similar to the, the hormones, and it does a lot of similar things to the hormones. So important for bone density and bone strength, but also very, very highly sensitive to our moods. So low vitamin D levels can give you quite strong mood symptoms. You can feel quite low in mood. You can feel quite anxious, can interfere with your sleep. So I think the combination of a global pandemic and mm. COVID and just trying to be a mum and work and exist at a functional level the past year, together with the fact that we're in the UK where we don't tend to get a lot of exposure to the sun, the importance of that being that our body makes vitamin D, but it's inactive and it's got to be activated by UV sunlight for it to have its effect in the body. So in the UK, particularly, we don't tend to expose our skin to the sunlight that much. So we don't get, get as much activation. Yeah, I think the combination of all of that probably is what resulted in, in your levels being low. Absolutely. Because, you know, I really think about how much sun exposure I get. And I mean, I'm all about wearing the SPF on the face every day, yes. obviously, from an anti-aging yes. point of view. And that's yes. so important. But so I do important. say, you know, and, and obviously, as we know, I think that that's um, something like 80 percent of our, our aging, of our skin on our yeah. faces is yeah. being proven to be down to, to sun damage. But what I actually try and do is, you know, days when it is sunny here in the UK during those summer months is expose yeah. other parts of my body for yeah 
for certain chunks during the day, which is great in practice. However, the reality of the reality of our weather here in the UK and the reality of the time we actually get to spend outside, even when the days are good, you know, because of work commitments and other types of things. If we really add it up over a year, particularly, as I say, in the UK or any countries which aren't getting that much good weather, that good sunny weather, it's actually very little. I mean, we could probably count on maybe two hands or three hands, you know, and that's probably the amount of days that we're really getting our body exposed for that, whatever it would be, two sets of 10 minutes, two sets of 20 minutes, you know, every day. So, you know, it makes sense that our vitamin D is lower than it should be. And it's interesting because we were talking just before we started recording about how you recommend that I get the vitamin D injections. Can, yes. can you explain the difference between the injections and supplementing that? Actually, yes. for both the vitamin D and the iron deficiency, because I know yeah. a lot of people listening will be thinking, oh yeah, well, iron infusion sounds great, but obviously there's lots of downsides by that yeah. of that, cost yeah. being one of them, of course. Yes. And also just accessibility to it. And also, you know, people sometimes people just don't want to do something like that because it is quite in some ways it's it's very simple when you've been through it but in other ways it may feel like quite an extreme measure so if you wouldn't mind just just talking about both the vitamin d and the iron and and how if we actually have that through an infusion or injection versus if we supplement that so i would strongly recommend that everybody in the uk supplements with vitamin d you want to be taking quite a strong dose of vitamin D. So you want to be taking up to about 5,000 international units of vitamin D a day, uh, especially in the winter months. And the ways that you can do that is you can get uh, tablets, uh, you can get sprays. So some people use sort of slightly more absorbable sprays, or you can get a muscular injection. And In terms of vitamin D itself, it is fairly well absorbed orally. So taking it as a tablet or as a spray is not a lesser option, but it is obviously slower. So, you know, you're taking a much lower dose and you're having to take that every single day. And it relies on you remembering to take it every single day. And that is in comparison to the muscular injection where we can give you an injection with a much, much higher dose that is then slow released over two to three months. And you would need to have a vitamin D blood test before you would be able to have that because obviously once we've in- injected it, it's it's difficult, impossible to take it away. So you do need to make sure that your levels are low enough to warrant an injection, but you can then have a single injection which would last you two months in the winter months and probably about three months in the summer months. And a lot of people prefer to do that because they don't have to rely on remembering to do it, to take the tablets daily. With the iron, it's a little bit more complicated. As I say, our body is not that good at absorbing iron and it actually regulates the amount of iron that it can be absorbed. And so the best way to to take iron orally is to take no more than about 65 milligrams of elemental iron. You need to take it on an empty stomach because you need an acidic pH to absorb that iron at a gut level. 
And it's actually better to take it every other day. So to have a rest day in between, because that allows the body to absorb the full dose of iron that you've taken in comparison to if you take it every day, the body's natural regulation actually stops you from absorbing all of that iron. So I would just say, unfortunately, as clinicians, we over-prescribe iron. So we give very, very high doses, often to be taken two or three times every single day. The body will only absorb 65 milligrams of that iron and all the rest just irritates your tummy and can cause your sort of constipations and your bloating and your tummy cramps, even diarrhea in some people. Wow, that's incredibly interesting. So, Mm. you know, it really is something that people would need to speak to either their own GP or search out a specialist like yourself or at your clinic to really understand that because it really does sound particularly from the iron point of view that it's that fine balance really you know it's not just like the vitamin d where actually we can grab a spray and spray it every day and and keep our levels up and get out in the sun a little bit more um it's actually quite a a complex issue but I think it's um I think it's really, you know, important, like you said, that people actually get it all checked first, really, and actually get their bloods done. And something which I've learned to do as well is when I do get a full blood test from my GP to actually get it all printed out and to take it home with me, which is something I never thought, obviously I wasn't allowed to do, but that's been really, and that's something which, again, our our mutual friend Sally um, recommended that I do because you can then take some time to really look at it yourself. And even if you don't understand it all, you can just seek some outdoor help. And, you know, although we don't want to be sort of Googling things, you can actually, you know, look into a little bit, you know, what are acceptable iron levels or vitamin D levels and look at it in a little, little bit more detail. Yeah. I I mean, I would strongly recommend doing that and Mm. just having a look at the normal reference ranges. So, All lab results usually will show your uh, blood test values and the normal reference range. And while it is difficult on the NHS, because you have to work within their sort of operating practices. So they've obviously got their protocols for when they treat what in a certain way. And so they may say to you, look, it's all normal. And your values will all fall within those normal ranges. But if you are fortunate enough to be in the position to be able to, you know, be a little bit more proactive about your health. And if you do have the financial means to pay, you may be able to access things that will get you feeling a little bit better, that will optimize your health. Rather than waiting for those levels to drop outside of that normal range, you can do something about it and get it to a level where you are feeling your best and you are kind of in that optimum health in the middle of that reference range. But I would recommend, you know, trying to find the help. Don't don't feel like you've got to do it yourself or you've got to make those diagnoses or find out why it is that you're not feeling well, come and see somebody like myself so that we can talk you through it and we can talk through your options of getting it right and the positives and the benefits of each of those options. And you can then make more of an informed decision about your health for for yourself. 
Absolutely. So if someone wanted to go and get a blood test, particularly if they really resonated with what you said about the iron deficiency symptoms, what should they ask to be tested by their doctor? So you... If you find that you've got a lot of the symptoms that we've described, the best idea is to request a test for your iron levels, but they would need to include your iron studies, which would include something called a ferritin value. You also should at the same time get tested for your B12 and folate levels because iron, B12 and folate all kind of work together. And so if you're low in one of those, there is a chance you could be low in the others and they can cause very similar symptoms. And then also the vitamin D is incredibly important because it can cause a lot of symptoms that are similar to the iron deficiency symptoms. And when you get either your iron levels or your vitamin D levels tested, they will need to do something called a full blood count and bone studies just to check the sort of other values. So your red blood cell values and your bone mineral counts. Absolutely. That's great advice. Thank you so much. And Dr. Caitlin, if um, anyone wants to know a little bit about your practice that you work at and and what you offer, can you let us know the website for that and how people can contact you and your clinic? Of course. So the practice that I work at is called the Muse Practice, which is in Guildford. We do actually also have sort of satellite clinics that are in London themselves. And you can literally go to Google and just Google the Muse Practice Guildford and you'll find the website and be able to look at the different things that we offer and and just a little bit more information about us. With regards to the iron, we are directly associated with a clinic that is in London called the Iron Clinic, which is where I actually started working with the iron. So there's a few different ways that you can access the information and the support. And you can call, you can book an appointment online, or you can email into the clinic and we'll be able to direct you how to make an appointment and what the costs would include, as well as offer the blood tests, which I mentioned before. Absolutely. And something which you also do at the the Muse practice, which I think is fantastic and something which a lot of women would find really, really helpful is you do a lot of hormone testing and and help women with with hormones as well. So that can often be very linked to everything we talked about today, but often, you know, our hormone levels be changing over the years as they yeah. do with women can really cause a lot of very similar symptoms as well, can't they? So you you do look at that too, which I think is great. So we tend at the Muse practice, we, we look at people individually, number one, mm. and we try and look as comprehensively as possible because if somebody comes into me and they tell me a number of symptoms that they have, I don't want to kind of have tunnel vision and correct one of the possible causes of those symptoms because the chances that they will still have those symptoms because something else is contributing to it is fairly good. So we tend to look at people and we look at everything that could possibly be contributing um, and try and correct and balance and optimize. We do a lot of health optimization. So just getting people feeling back to their normal selves 
what I say to a lot of my women is remember that you know yourself the best. You know what is normal for yourself. You know how you normally respond to stress or to pressure or to tiredness. So if you are feeling something that is out of that normal for you, then there's something that is causing it. You know, there's something that will get you feeling a little bit better. And we try and help you to find out what that something is and to get you back to that normal. I think that's great. I think that's the best advice for all of us, you know, to really tune into who we are and and how we respond to things. And I think that that's the our intuition, you know, going back yes. to what I said earlier, you know, when, when my intuition said, oh, when I think your iron's got lower and all my intuition yes. said, oh, you shouldn't be eating as much gluten as you are. <laughs> you know, just those little things, you know, not to ignore those. Yeah. We really do know ourselves, but also we often need a support and, and, and a yes. helping hand and I think it's really important to, to reach out and you know even if you are going through your and if you're in the UK and you're going through your GP via the NHS then actually you know just keep asking those questions and keep yeah. sort of asking for that help because you shouldn't be suffering alone no no exactly Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Caitlin, you've been just an absolute pleasure. And I know what you have talked about today will have helped so many women. And I know you've helped me a lot too. So, so much gratitude for you. It is such a pleasure. It's, I, I just hope that we can help as many women as possible to, to feel content and happy with where they are. (laughs) Absolutely. I completely, completely agree. Thank you. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like more information on face yoga or you'd like to become a face yoga teacher, just head to our website, faceyogaexpert.com for more information. If you'd like to do a regular structured daily face yoga program to get the best results, you can either use one of my apps, just search Danielle Collins on your app store, or you can use my book, just search Danielle Collins Face Yoga on Amazon. And thank you for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you again next time.